We still do seven NUFC Matters show a week for free. But if you want to help support NUFC Matters, then there are a few ways of doing it. Hit the like button on each live broadcast and video. This helps the channel grow. Hit the subscribe button and select the all notifications bell so you don't miss a single show. If you want to help us financially, then you can join the channel using this button with the membership starting at $1.99 a month. Or you can drop us a donation in the chat using a super sticker. We're also looking for sponsors. If you'd like your brand advertised on the flies for the show and featured during the ad break, then email john at nufcmatters.com to arrange today. Hi, welcome along to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith. It is a pre-recorded show. Delighted to see we've got Ben Jacobs back. How are you, Ben? I'm very well. How are you? Very good, mate. Great to see you. And uh, it's been a couple of weeks. And uh, what a what a couple of weeks it's been for Newcastle United since we uh, last chewed the fat about everything black and white together on this channel. Uh, last time we had you on, we were uh, commiserating about the... Uh, the Liverpool defeat and uh, the Brighton defeat and um, were Newcastle United struggling and how the Brentford game was going to be potentially a you know a, a, a game which could pile the pressure on Eddie Howe and his players. But since that since that result, uh, Brentford at home one nil, Callum Wilson penalty, and Newcastle have gone on to record clean sheets in the San Siro nil nil against AC Milan, an eight nil win against Sheffield United. They then took on Manchester City in the Carabao Cup. And beat them 1-0 with uh, Isaac getting a, a goal. Mm. And then Burnley this weekend, a 2-0 Premier League win. Almiron and Isaac penalty uh, getting the, the three points there. So clean sheets abound. Uh, wins, uh, you know, in the Premier League. Taking Newcastle up to an eighth place um, after after the win on Saturday. And then uh, a 0-0 in the San Siro keeps us unbeaten there. Um, but a good start to our Champions League journey. And into the next round of the Carabao Cup at the expense of the treble winners. Wow. If Carlsberg could do a fortnight, uh, Ben, that would certainly be it. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think that Newcastle responded really well after that defeat to Liverpool. And let's not forget the 3-1 loss to Brighton as well, which was just as disappointing in many ways, especially when you look at Brighton at the weekend, absolutely torn apart by Aston Villa, who Newcastle thrashed on opening day. So the Premier League in that kind of race beneath Manchester City is very tight at the moment. And there's a number of teams that could be pushing for Champions League spaces. And as we know, that Newcastle are one of them. I think the Brentford win was really important because it was a penalty from Wilson. It was a tighter game. Newcastle only had a couple of shots on target. They weren't really able to make their possession tell. And then that win and a clean sheet has, I think, triggered this purple patch of form 
And what we know about Newcastle from last season is that defensively, it was the foundations that helped them qualify for the Champions League. So clean sheet against Brentford, and then you go away at Milan, and again, Milan, as you might expect, dominated, and Newcastle had to really hang in the game. But again, clean sheet. Sheffield United were poor, but Newcastle were brilliant, 8-0, eight different scorers. They, of course, beat Sheffield Wednesday in 1999 by eight goals to nil. And I think Shearer got five in that game and then flash forwards and they've done the 8-0 Sheffield double. And that's confidence boosting. But unfortunately for Sheffield United, they were dreadful and their heads dropped. And then you get the win over Manchester City and the victory over Burnley. So when I sort of look at that run, yes, there's the eight goals. Yes, there's the Champions League points. But for me anyway, the most important win was responding after those three consecutive losses, the 1-0 to Manchester City, followed by the 2-1 to Liverpool and the 3-1 to Brighton. And then people will talk about the goals. People will talk about the different scorers. Burnley and Almiron scoring was important. Isaac was on the score sheet there. It was Wilson's penalty, as I've already said, against Brentford. So there'll be a lot made of the attacking component of Newcastle because they're very easy on the eye all of a sudden. But it's that string of clean sheets that I think is so important because it's the same defensive discipline in the build-up to the World Cup last season that really saw Newcastle make great strides. And ultimately, if Newcastle are keeping clean sheets with regularity, then they're going to be well in the hunt for Champions League football or better. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, you look at this record, though, over the last few weeks, and, and, you know, after failing to keep a clean sheet in the opening four games, Newcastle have made it five in a row against Brentford, Milan, Sheffield, Man City and Burnley. And, um, you know, I've got to say, I I think the inclusion probably of Sean Longstaff has gone a long way to to help him plug a gap Mm -hmm. or uh, he's like the glue that holds that midfield together because... We were all talking at the start of the season about Bruno Tonali and Joe Linton. Joe Linton was forced out with an injury. Uh, Tonali, uh, we know, hadn't trained a great deal, so has, has been rotated. Uh, Longstaff, who wasn't fit at the start of the season, didn't have much of a pre-season, has come back in. And I, 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 you know, I think more and more fans are realising how important he is to our midfield. Yeah, and I think we spoke about this, didn't we, and whether his inclusion would come, and it did, and what kind of impact he can have. And there's a fair amount of balance. And I think that Longstaff and his discipline brings the best out of Bruno, but also allows Kieran Trippier a lot of freedom as well. And then if Almiron gets going on that right side, you have a lot of variation and quality. So that's one aspect to it for sure. So all credit to Longstaff. I also think that Anthony Gordon has done well and he got an assist against Burnley, for example. And the rotation between Isaac and Wilson is also working well and Eddie Howe's finding a way to keep a number of players happy. I think what we're seeing with Newcastle a bit more broadly, um, it's another kind of hallmark behind this run that they're on, is just depth, which shows you once again that they have bought very well Indeed. So if we look at the game against Manchester City, for example, it was a hard-fought 1-0 win. And some of the changes in that game were absolutely outstanding. Tino Livramento in particular showing exactly why he was bought. And this shouldn't be as big a surprise because we know that Livramento is capable of this when he was fit. He was absolutely outstanding for Southampton in the Premier League as well. But I thought he totally snuffed out Jack Grealish, a very tough 
opponent and deserves credit as well. And then on the other side, Matt Target was in for that game. And I thought that he did very well too. And Lewis Hall got a run out in a slightly less familiar position, but that's illustrative of his versatility as well. So Eddie Howe is kind of sport for choice at the moment in a very good way. But I agree with you that Longstaff is important to Newcastle because he understands the club, he understands the culture, and he's a bit more disciplined. And when you have players like Gordon, who likes to move around, Isaac and Wilson, and Isaac obviously maybe force wide if he plays alongside Wilson, Almiron, who likes to cut in, Joe Linton, who can play midfield or in a front three, Bruno, who likes to get box to box, you need somebody that is just going to be selfless and dig in and know their role in the team rather than only as an individual. And that's Longstaff all over. And that's ultimately why he's fought his way into the starting lineup. And I think that one player can make a difference and maybe it is Longstaff that's helped Newcastle get going. Yeah, no doubt about it. We saw an injury, unfortunately, to, uh, to Harvey Barnes. Um, obviously, former Leicester player, your club that you support. Uh, devastating blow for him, out for three months. Yeah, real shame. And unfortunately for him, it means that he's not really going to be able to get going at Newcastle. So his loss is likely going to be Anthony Gordon's gain. And I think that Gordon is really settled now and seems intent on, I wouldn't say proving a point, because I don't think that Newcastle fans really have overly attacked him, but maybe Everton fans, maybe wider football fans have. And he showed at the Euros for England what he was capable of. And I think that he started the season very positively. And because Barnes wasn't starting every single game for Newcastle, he won't necessarily be sorely missed. But the Barnes that will be sorely missed is the Barnes that played for Leicester last season that I think scored 13 Premier League goals. And that Barnes hasn't really been apparent yet for Newcastle, but that's what he's capable of when he's fit and firing. And Newcastle may need those goals and they may need that depth. And when we spoke at the beginning of the season and you asked me about Barnes versus Gordon, the reason why my selection was Barnes, not Gordon, is because Barnes, based on last season, was more of a consistent goal scorer and a sister. And I was looking at Newcastle and I was kind of wondering in many ways who is basically going to support Wilson and or Isaac. And obviously, it's all very well saying, well, Wilson can get 15 goals, Isaac can get 15 goals, but because they haven't tended to play together, it's not like they're both going to score 15 goals in the same games. And as a consequence, if one of them that is playing and starting has an off day, who else is chipping in? And that's where, based on last season, we were looking at Bruno for four or five. We were looking at Joe Linton for six or seven. We were looking at Miguel Almiron for 10, potentially. But Almiron had tailed off in the back half of the season. Bruno's goal-scoring numbers may be a bit deceptive. I think if he stays at Newcastle for four or five seasons, he'll level off around the three or four a season rather than the six or seven a season. And Joe Linton obviously has good goal-scoring numbers, but it depends what position he plays in because it's obvious if he's in a more advanced position, he's going to score more goals. But if he plays a little bit deeper, that's going to take a hit on the numbers. So then you start saying, okay, what do you need goal-wise? Generally, I know it's not a hard and fast rule, but generally, what do you need goals-wise to qualify for the Champions League? And you would probably say 80 goals, and you'd be relatively confident of getting Champions League football because that will probably equate to at least 70 points. 
and 70 goals with Newcastle's defensive record, probably enough as well because they're winning a lot of games by one goal to nil. So then let's just say Isaac's 15, Wilson's 15, then that's 30 goals. Where are you going to get 40 other goals from collectively in your team? Four or five from a couple of defenders, four or five from Joe Linton and Bruno still only takes you to 40-odd goals, maybe 45. So then if you were then to say, well, Harvey Barnes is going to get you 12 goals, you take a big leap towards getting where you need to be to have a very good season. So without him, you're hoping that Anthony Gordon can contribute with either, let's say, 10 to 15 goals or 15 goal contributions. And I think now he has a challenge on his hands to try and prove that that's what he's capable of and keep his place in the side when Harvey Barnes comes back from injury. But it is a shame because Barnes was a name that Eddie Howe desperately wanted and not just for depth, but because he believed that he would improve the Newcastle starting lineup. And unfortunately, Barnes is going to have to wait now until 2024 in order to make an impact. Yeah, good luck to him in his recovery. You've touched on uh, Anthony Gordon there. And I mean, Anthony Gordon has been a revelation. And I mean, he did have mm. a slow start. He did have a slow start. But, um, you know, he's he's come into his own. And I think probably playing playing at the, the summer tournament probably helped him massively in his development. Yeah, I think he was superb in the Euros for England. And that definitely breeds confidence. And in addition to that, I think we have to look at Eddie Howe as well and how significant he is to the development of the player as well and the thing with how is that he is the kind of man manager that can get the best out of a player that maybe hasn't found form that lacks a little bit of confidence that ultimately needs that tailored management style and that's what we've seen the other thing though with the euros is that gordon was playing in a favored position so there's still that debate over Gordon because I think he would like to be leading the line. He'd like to be through the centre. He'd like to be the focal point either in a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. And if he isn't, then he has to learn how to be a wide forward or a winger, which is well within his locker, but it's perhaps not his favoured position. And maybe what Newcastle are trying to do is convert him into changing his mind about his favoured position. And at the moment, it's working. And I think as well, Gordon's a very passionate player. He wears his heart on his sleeve. So he's absolutely the type of player that can now get going with this Newcastle crowd. I think he'll thrive off the atmosphere. He'll thrive off the momentum. He'll thrive off proving the naysayers wrong. He'll thrive off Champions League football. He'll thrive off ultimately now having had more time playing under Eddie Howe. And this is the beauty when you've got that kind of player. They can suddenly erupt and show their potential. And I think too often in football with this kind of player, uh, we judge them too early. And he's 22 years of age. So we can't say categorically if he's a central forward, if he's a wide forward, if he's a winger. We can't say categorically what his goal scoring output is. We can't say categorically what he's capable of because he's 22 years of age. He's not 25. He's not 30. He's 22. So... Yes, we can look at the Everton numbers to an extent to inform the potential, particularly 2021-2022, because he played 40-odd games that season and scored four goals. So looking at that, Gordon, you're saying that he's a consistent Premier League player. He's got pace. He's got tenacity, maybe lacking a little bit of intelligence at times, could be immature, could be impetuous and needs to up 
the goal scoring numbers and the goal scoring contributions. Then, of course, flash forwards a couple of seasons. He moved to Newcastle. He played only, I think, 15 or 16 times last season, only scored once. But some of that was off the bench and he's new to the club. Now, I think he's played six in the Premier League. He scored two goals and he's adding assists as well. And that suggests he's turned a corner. And part of that is down to Eddie Howe. But part of that, I think, is also just because of the player's age. And as he develops now from 22 to 25, we should start to see the best of him. And I think that Gordon could be an inspired signing for Newcastle. We talked last time you were on the show about the Champions League and and, and how demanding it's going to be on the squad. And obviously, you know, continuing in the Carabao Cup is also going to be a strain. Injuries are starting to mount up. We've obviously got the injury to Harvey Barnes, which we've already talked about. Uh, Callum Wilson and Sven Botman now going to be out until October. Joe Willock, of course, has been long-term. He's not going to be back till the end of October, start of November. Emil Kraft still on the road to recovery. The squad is now starting to be tested, isn't it? The squad is being tested, and I think that that is ultimately part of this very important stage of the season for Newcastle, who need to try and get a big result against PSG next. And if they can do that, then they will be in a position where they stand a very good chance of getting out of their group. And suddenly the away point at Milan becomes highly significant. And I think that if Newcastle win their home games in the Champions League, then they'll get out of the group. It's as simple as that. But obviously there's that knock-on effect in terms of damaging their Premier League season by having to have the added burden. It's a welcome burden, but from a congestion point of view, it's still a burden of the Champions League. So Newcastle PSG into an away game at West Ham is obviously not ideal. The five out of the first six in the Champions League are all away from Newcastle. Luckily, they were able to win at Sheffield United, but away at West Ham is not easy. Crystal Palace after that, just beat Manchester United at the weekend. And then Dortmund's going to be a fantastic fixture as well to look forward to. But the fixtures are coming thick and fast. There's the EFL as well with a repeat of last year's final against Manchester United. There's that to be factored in as well. And add all of that up and it's going to be a real test for the depth of Eddie Howe's squad. Yeah, certainly going to be a test. And um, yeah, I mean, I think what impressed me with the Manchester City win in the Carabao Cup is I think most Newcastle fans uh, looked at the looked at the team sheet and they saw Jamal Lascelles and Paul Dummett at centre-half, uh, and, you know, Matt Target at left-back and Livermento at right-back with Nick Pope in goal and must have thought, we've got no chance in this game. But what really impressed me was that those players, Dummett and Lascelles in particular, who played a couple of games between them in the last 12 months came in and looked as if they've been there for the whole, you know, the whole season. Yeah. And that I think is testament to them, but also players coming in with momentum high and wanting to prove a point. And I think that sometimes fringe players at big squads and big clubs can get frustrated, but other times they can really want to pitch in and change Eddie Howe's mind. And there's a lot of positions now where the starting eleven is by no means a given. I think you always are going to say Pope. You're always going to say Trippier. You're always going to say Botman and Cher. And then the left-back debate is there to be had, whether it's Byrne, whether it's Taggart, whether it's Hall, or whether even you move Trippier or potentially Livramento to the other side as well in order to try that out. But that kind of picks itself. But as you say, the beauty is when Newcastle have an opportunity to 
rotate, players are coming in and they're really fighting. And I think Lascelles and Dummett were excellent against Manchester City. Livramento was obviously man of the match. So there's no real concerns or problems at the back. I know a lot of people, myself included, feel like Newcastle are going to go into the market and try for a centre-back in January. But remember, because there's that depth now at left-back, so there's so many players that can play in that position, it means if you need to move Burn to centre-back, you've got another option and then still Dummett and Lascelles as well. So Eddie Howe will be relatively content, I think, as far as the back is concerned. But there's definitely competition there. We've seen all season that the three in midfield will be hotly contested. Joe Linton can obviously play there or potentially like last season further forwards. You've got Longstaff who's come into the side. You've got Bruno, who's probably an automatic starter along with Joe Linton in some capacity. But you've got Elliot Anderson as well, who's getting more and more game time. And he is very much favoured in terms of the Newcastle hierarchy because he has a high ceiling of development and is a fan's favourite as well. And then once again, you look at the front line and you say, if Isaac's not firing, you've got Wilson or vice versa. You can alternate those two. And that helps because it's not only about picking Isaac ahead of Wilson. It's about effectively managing Wilson's minutes. So then he'll play slightly less, but when he does play, it might be in the bigger games and he might have more of an impact because Isaac's been able to take some of the minutes away from him. And that means that he's got a stronger chance of staying fit and sharp throughout the season. And it will be the same with Gordon and Harvey Barnes when Barnes comes back from fitness. And then Miguel Almiron's made a great start. We haven't even spoken about Sandro Tonali, who was only on the bench for the Burnley game, as was Joe Linton. By the way, we should point out that you've also got Jacob Murphy, who's very capable of coming in and contributing. And then Lewis Hall, as he's already proven, even though he's not had that many minutes, is versatile. He can basically play in a number of positions on the left-hand side and looks pretty comfortable in a 4-3-3. So anyhow, is sport for choice, but that doesn't mean that Newcastle won't want to strengthen a little bit further in January. And I think that what will define how aggressive they are in January is ultimately how much progress they're making in the Premier League in terms of a likelihood at the halfway stage of them getting Champions League again. And even though we won't know definitively if they're on track, then you're purposefully maybe trying to add a few more to get over the line. And the second thing in all of this is just whether or not they look, should they get out of their Champions League group to add a little bit more quality to make a real push to go and win the tournament? Because it might sound... Strange to some to be talking about Newcastle winning the tournament or talking about Newcastle making the final or going very far in the competition. But the honest truth is, if you come out of a Champions League group with Milan in it, with PSG in it and with Dortmund in it, and if you beat some of those sides in the process, then bizarrely by Champions League standards, especially if you win the group, there's a very fair chance that your last 16 opponent in the Champions League is weaker than any of the group stage opposition that you've come up against. And if that proves to be the case, then Newcastle will feel confident that they can beat anybody as far as the Champions League is concerned. And of course, being an English side as well, it means they're going to avoid the best team in the competition until at least the final stages in Manchester City. So I think that will 
play a factor in all of this as well. Right now, there's a good amount of depth, but we're just before that point in the season where the fixtures really come thick and fast. And as a result, once we get through the festive period and into the new year, Newcastle will start to understand due to form, due to ambition and due to injuries, exactly what they may need in January. But I don't think they'll be afraid to have a busy January if they feel like it's going to help get aspects of this season and their goals within this season over the line. OK, halfway through the show, time for the ads. A big thanks to all our sponsors, Skips and Bins, telephone 0800 25 email inquiries at skipsandbins.com, website www.skipsandbins.com, easy contract free and pay-as-you-go waste collection. A big thanks to Mr Vicky's Sources Handmade in Cumbria. You can order yours today by emailing info at mrvickies.co.uk or telephoning 01768 210102 or go to the website mrvickies.co.uk. A big thanks as well to United Group Travel. They are a UK coach holiday firm based in Morpeth. Uh, for just £30 deposit, you can book a trip uh, across the UK. Um, there are no strangers on their buses, just friends you haven't met yet. They're taking bookings now for 2024 tours, and you can call them on 01670-632-460 or mobile 0791-666-4174 or 07957-141654. Big thanks to Media Arts for all the help with the video side of things. And a big thanks as well to New Workwear. Uh, you can find them at newworkwear.com. Please subscribe to the channel. All you need to do is hit the subscribe button. It's free. Hit the thumb up under the video to like the video and click share to share to your other social media. We're also available as a podcast on iTunes, Spotify and other podcast providers. If you want to help the channel financially, why not take out a one-off £25 membership? What do you get for your money? You get a scarf, you get a pen, you get a membership card and a cup and you get entry into the monthly draw. How do you do it? Go to nufcmatters.com. If you've got a smartphone, put your smartphone over this QR code and it will take you straight there. We also support the food bank on this channel. How do we do it? We do it virtually. nufcfansfoodbank.co.uk is the website. If you want to make a virtual donation today, go to that website and you can top up what they collect at the food bank outside the ground. We always advertise events on this channel as well. If you've got an event to advertise which has got a Newcastle United theme, please let us know. And even with Frank Clark and John Gibson, takes place at the Irish Centre. Tickets are £15. NUFCmatters.com for your tickets. The Time Theatre and Opera House are holding an event with Keegan, Beardsley and Waddle, the Class of 84, 25th of January, 2024. And you can book now 0844 249 1000. That's 0844 249 1000. If you go to nufcmatters.com as well, we've got a couple of raffles ongoing the Alan Shearer signed ball raffle, a pound a ticket, and the Kieran Trippier picture, a pound a ticket for that as well. And once the tickets are sold, the draw will be done. We've also got some t shirts which you can buy. The latest one, the latest hot seller, is this one. Geordie's on tour. I've never seen a Mackham in Milan t-shirt with all of our Champions League fixtures on the back. Get yourself to nufcmatters.com. Buy one today. And don't forget the Northeast Brecky Show, 7 to 9, Monday to Friday on tuneradio.co.uk. You can also get us on Dab Radio, Smart Speakers, App 
and online. Okay, welcome back to NUFC Matters with me and Ben Jacobs. Uh, I want to uh, take it away from Newcastle a little bit and just uh, ask Benny's opinion on this. PJMOL statement on Saturday after the Liverpool game. Uh, they acknowledged a significant human error occurs during the first half of Tottenham versus Liverpool. The goal by Luis Diaz was disallowed for offside by the on-field team of match officials. This was a clear and obvious factual error and should have resulted in the goal being awarded through VAR intervention. However the VAR failed to intervene. PGMOL will conduct a full review into the circumstances which led to the error. Uh, PGMOL will immediately be contacting Liverpool at the conclusion of the fixture to acknowledge the error. Wow. I, I really couldn't believe this. Uh, it came virtually you know, a year on after Newcastle's mm. you know, ridiculous offside that you know, he's, it choked Isaac's goal off at Liverpool at Anfield. Um, it's, not, it's not right. We've gone through VAR all the time, but this... It is getting worse rather than getting better, Ben, I feel. Yeah, I mean, this particular incident was a terrible, terrible series of miscommunications that feel unthinkable in the modern game, given that there's a constant stream of communication between VAR and the officials. So Diaz scores, he's onside, and the flag goes up. So the on-field decision is offside. And then what the PGMOL state is that Darren England and his assistants who were in the VAR room confused themselves and thought the on-field call was goal, but it was not. So then they completed a check. They drew the lines. They carried out the protocol correctly. And then they informed the referee that the on-field decision in their eyes was correct and the check was complete. The referee, Simon Hooper, then hears checks complete, the on-field decision stands. But as far as the ref was concerned, the on-field decision was no goal. So it became offside and Spurs free kick. And as far as VAR are concerned, because they thought the on-field decision was a goal, they confirmed it. And this is utterly ridiculous because whereas you may understand a lapse in communication during a busy time and it's fast moving, as soon as Tottenham go to take their offside free kick, how on earth does VAR constantly in the official's ear not shout and scream and say, wait, 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 we gave a goal. They must see immediately that the referee doesn't point to the centre circle. And some people say as a counterpoint, well, the free kick was ready to be taken by Spurs. It all happened very quickly. But I think there was nearly 30 seconds between the check being complete and Tottenham resuming play. And then why not, even if the free kick was taken, blow the whistle and pull it back? I know technically it's not allowed within the rules, but it's better than having this situation where VAR and the officials are not on the same page. VAR look asleep on the job. And I think that the other thing is because they knew immediately, because those in the VAR room said goal. So as soon as Tottenham took the offside free kick, even if they thought they couldn't pull it back, those in the VAR room knew immediately what had happened. They knew they'd made an error. 
So tell the fourth official and inform the managers, because even though this might seem like a wild suggestion, I think had Klopp and Postacoglu spoken and it been made clear that it was a miscommunication, not a missed call, not a contentious call, not a thing that had been missed, not a thing that was given and shouldn't have been given and was only noted in retrospect. It was a goal that was only not given because VAR and the referee got their wires crossed in communication. I wonder whether Postacoglu would have said, OK, based upon that and the integrity of the game, we're going to let Liverpool walk the ball into the back of the net. Perhaps not, because people will say that's not how football works. But I remember when Leicester played Nottingham Forest in the League Cup game a few years back and the match got abandoned when it was rescheduled. Leicester let Forest take a 1-0 lead because Forest were 1-0 up at the time, even though it was a completely new game starting at zero minutes. Uh, we've seen lots of incidences where rather than no goal and then a goal be given because of sportsmanship, we've seen plenty of instances where a goal has been unjustly given and then the other team have let it be cancelled out by immediately letting them walk the ball into the back of the net. So maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm idealistic, but knowing Ange Postacoglu and the kind of character he is, that's another possibility in all of this. So there was zero communication. And it's staggering, really, that the referee and the VAR room could have communicated that badly when quite clearly it should have been a goal for Liverpool. And if 10-man Liverpool had gone 1-0 up at Tottenham at that stage in the game, it might have been a completely different scenario. Mm. Well, it's one that's going to run and run. I definitely think there should be a pause on VAR. I think it needs to be addressed. I think it's getting ridiculous now. We've seen too many incidents, which ultimately could cost cost people winning the league, qualifying for Europe or, or staying in the Premier League. And it, it's becoming a farce now. And, and, and statements like that from PGMOL don't help at all. It's like shutting the gate after the horse is bolted, I'm afraid. It's not something I'm very happy about. And that, that game didn't affect us. Um, it, you know, it's a positive for us in, in a lot of ways in, in our battles for Europe. But, you know, it, it's not right. Um, and, and it's all very well people saying, well, it balances out over a season. But, you know, that's not what should be happening. VAR was it was brought in to, to try and perfect the game and, you know, to stop errors happening. In fact, what it's doing is making the, the game a farce and, and creating more errors for me, which, which, is, which is disappointing. It really is. Um, I, mean, I think um, what I would say is sometimes when we don't have VAR, like in the League Cup, people moan and complain and say it was badly officiated. And then with VAR, there's sometimes an opposite extreme where it becomes a kind of paralysis by analysis. So we have to embrace the technology, but find a way of still giving the referee the ultimate power. And I think sometimes what's happening is that the referee is listening to the VAR recommendation, perhaps because the feeling is that it speeds up the game rather than just making his or her mind up. And I like the aspect that the referee is a player within the game, that the referee is human. I like the fact that historically in football, you have stricter referees, you have more lenient referees. I always make the argument that in baseball, the umpire behind the plate is never the same. And nobody in baseball asks for consistency. Some umpires 
have a very lenient strike zone. Other umpires have a very tight strike zone. But as you play the game, you start to understand what the umpire is calling as a strike and what the umpire is calling as a ball. So I personally don't think every single referee has to be a robot and the same. I think every referee can have a personality. Every referee, as long as they are fair to their ability, can have an interpretation. I think the most important thing is just that within a game, the referee is consistent. So if you book that player for that tackle and an equivalent tackle happens, then you've got to brandish another yellow card. But maybe a referee in another game doesn't give a yellow for either challenge, which means that the rules may not be applied consistently or interpreted consistently, but the referee within the game has made sure that he or she is consistent. So if referees are using the monitor and still making the final decision, and that can be done quicker, then the technology is very useful. If the offsides are automatic or semi-automatic, automatic is a bit of a push at the moment because they needed a bit more technology, but semi-automatic offsides have been trialed and the Premier League didn't want to do them. That would be very beneficial as well. And I think that the thing about VAR is that we have to be very careful of how we debate it. And I don't think I disagree with you. We can blanket criticize it because there's too many components to it. So the goal line technology is largely seen as helpful and useful the review of a dangerous tackle is largely black and white and, again, is useful as long as there's clear interpretation. The two big points of contention in all of this are handball and offside. And I think with handball, it's less about the technology and, again, it's more about the rules. We've got to be in a position where we're clear about what is and isn't handball and we've got to be in a position where we're not just penalising defenders when they quite simply cannot get their hands out of the way and they're making natural movements. But again, that's not down to technology. So then for me, what we're left with is basically the drawing of the lines and the protocol of offsides. And I've said this a few times now. With semi-automatic offsides, because the technology is trusted, there's no need to wait for the conclusion necessarily. And as they become more and more accurate, the official can basically just be notified it's offside. So then you can stop the game because you trust the technology. So not only is that quicker, but crucially, you don't see the end product. And I think that's the big thing that annoys me. It's not the line drawing. It's not the miscommunications even, although it was shocking in the case of that Diaz goal. It's the fact that every single time we have to watch the run, wait for it, the flag stays down, see the conclusion. Then we find out if it's offside on the field. Then we have to wait for VAR. It's killing the game. And then if the decision is still wrong or it's only by a fraction, we start to get very frustrated and it becomes a very debatable thing. Whereas obviously in football before VAR, someone makes a run on or offside and the linesman puts the flag up. And then because the flag's gone up, you stop. So as a fan, you're not actually that annoyed by that. And you probably don't even historically watch that many of them back because you don't know the conclusion. So why are you going to waste your time seeing whether or not that tight offside was or wasn't offside? Because the flag went up, you stopped. And before there was a chance to debate it, before there was a chance to continue to contention or conclusion, it stopped. 
And again, that's the thing with automatic offsides. If you trust the technology, then the offside flag will go up and things will stop. And you'll never know whether the forward would have finished it, which takes a lot of the contention and debate out of it and speeds up the game. So I'm okay with the technology. I'm just not okay with how the technology is being implemented at the moment. And I'm not okay with the fact that the power of the referee to see incidents is seemingly being taken away. I still think even if it takes a few more seconds or minutes, when it's tight, when it's contentious, go and send the referee to the screen and let them take the final decision because otherwise what's the point in having a referee in the centre of the field? Okay, uh, Newcastle United take on PSG. It's the second game of Newcastle's Champions mm. League group stage campaign. Uh, it sees, uh, sees and French League One champions Paris Saint-Germain come to St. James's Park for the very first time since their formation in 1970. It's an 8 o'clock kickoff on Wednesday. It is live on TNT Sports. Uh, elsewhere in the group, of course, on Wednesday, Borussia Dortmund host AC Milan. Uh, this is an absolute corker for Newcastle United <laughs> fans. It really is. And we'll find out, uh, or we've already found out, because this is a pre-recorded show, who's going to be available. But we do know Callum Wilson, Sven Botman, uh, Joe Willock, Emil Kraft, all unavailable. Harvey Barnes, unavailable. Joe Linton, doubtful as we record this mm. show. Javier Manquillo, uh, Emil Kraft, Matt Ritchie and Mark Gillespie were all admitted from the Champions League squad anyway. Um, at the weekend, Newcastle won 2-0 against Burnley at home. PSG uh, were held 0-0 at Clermont, which uh, are a struggling team in their mm. league. So, uh, you know, that's that's interesting. Kylian Mbappe was back in the side after an injury. Uh, had forced him off during the first half of PSG's 4-0 win over Marseille the previous weekend. Um, so he will no doubt play, which is a big attraction for Newcastle fans. I think they'd love to see Mbappe play one of the world's best players. And we'll probably see an ex-Newcastle player return as well. Johan Kabay uh, should be back, the retired midfielder now. He's got an off-field role with PSG's academy who faced Newcastle's under-19s over the river at Gateshead on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, so... This is a this is a great fixture. This is what a, this is what last season was all about. Newcastle qualifying for the Champions League to have a night like this. This is every bit as big as Barcelona was when Tino scored that hat trick. Ben, it's massive, and Newcastle fans should enjoy it. And St James's Park is going to be rocking. And PSG, like you say, are very beatable at the moment. They've made their worst starts the season under their Qatari owners QSI. And I suppose normally when we say that you'd be thinking much like Chelsea or Manchester United that they're down in the doldrums, but they're still actually only two points off the top of the league on table at the time we're recording this, but they've only won three of their first seven league games. They did get a very good win though in their opening Champions League match against Dortmund. And that takes the pressure off because the thing about visiting sides in this Champions League group is that as long as they're winning their home games, they'll get out the group. So PSG did their job against Dortmund. Uh, they will be favourites when the home leg comes around against Newcastle as well. So there's a bit of pressure on Newcastle, even with a point in the bag, to try and at least get something from this game. And I think that Newcastle will feel very equal to PSG, given what they've seen of the visitors so far this season. They were very poor in that game against Claremont. It finished nil-nil. Uh, but before that, they won against their rival Marseille by four goals to nil. And they had that win over Dortmund. So it's been a bit stop-start for PSG, but they've not 
traveled either too much or too poorly. They've had a lot more home games than away games so far this season. On the road, they haven't really been able to get going too much apart from one win, which was a 4-1 victory over Lyon, in which Kylian Mbappe scored a couple of goals. But they've struggled to create too much in terms of kind of momentum. And they've been wasteful with a lot of chances. I mean, I think to the Clermont game at the weekend, and they had over 10 shots on target. They had over 20 shots on goal. They controlled the pace of the game. They had almost 70% of the ball and they were not able to put the ball in the back of the net. So it's the kind of game where Newcastle can't just see it as an occasion. And even though the fans will enjoy it and love seeing Mbappe, and even though we'll probably be half jokingly, half seriously, maybe though in the media, talking about a sort of Qatar-Saudi derby and all of that, I think Newcastle have to put all of that aside and they have to treat it like any other game. They cannot go in with an inferiority complex and they have to try and create a momentum and the fans can help with that where they score early in the game and they put PSG on the back foot. And if they do that, I think they can win the game. I think Newcastle will score. That's the first thing to say. And if they score with the defence that they've got, then they stand a very good chance of getting something out of the game. So I, I think I can see this one finishing 1-1. And I think that it's going to be a memorable occasion. It's going to be a memorable game. You know, maybe some Newcastle fans would have looked at the group and said they'd have preferred a weaker group and just to get out the group and go as far in the Champions League. But I think when you've waited this long for nights like this in Champions League football, to have Milan, Dortmund and PSG all coming to St. James's Park... Whatever happens, Newcastle fans should make sure that they enjoy the occasion because if you'd have said this during the Mike Ashley era that these fixtures would happen and that Mbappe would be coming in the Champions League to St. James's Park, then I think many fans would have laughed you out of the room and flash forwards under a short period of time under new ownership. And that's exactly what Newcastle have got. So all credit to the ownership as far as what they've done on the football side, all credit to Eddie Howe. And you don't only want to go into these games saying that you're going to enjoy it. You don't only want to go into these games thinking that you're somehow the underdog because why should a top Premier League team with quality players be thinking that against a PSG side? Newcastle absolutely can win this game. But I think if it does finish 1-1 and then they've got an opportunity later down the line to take six points or even four points off Dortmund and Milan at home, then overall, that might be enough to finish in second place and get out of the group. And it will be a job well done for Newcastle. So my prediction for the game is 1-1. OK, great stuff. Don't forget as well, we are supporting Raval this week. Uh, they are doing a National Curry Week, of course, uh, down there. And if you want to book a curry, go to ravaluk.com, quote, NUFC Matters 2023, and you will get 20% off. And if you buy uh, chicken tikka masala this week, uh, then they will give the equivalent cost of that to the charity in Gateshead Feeding Families. Great cause that we are fully behind. Ben, as always, thanks for joining us. Take care. See you next time. Have a good week, everyone. Enjoy the Champions League. 